Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello everyone and welcome to Changes. Hiya folks, I'm sitting in the rave shed at the end of the garden with the doors fully open. Um, You can hear the wind kind of whispering through the bamboo branches. You can hear my next door neighbour fiddling in his shed. You can hear the kids in the school behind me and the birds are singing. It has been the most beautiful hot summery week a week where I've really felt like oh my god summer's just crept up and it's here it's undeniably here um the reason why I've not been that aware I suppose of everything happening is because I've been living a lot in the last definitely month two months in the alternative universe of my new novel (laughs) literally trying to finish this draft I've been doing And it's quite remarkable when you're kind of neck deep in a novel at this point, I'm on draft four, because even though the whole world is happening around you, your head is just somewhere else. So as I talk to you now, I'm going to hand in the novel at the end of today. And I'm so looking forward to being kind of back out, present, fully in the world, seeing friends, being social, And one of the big things I'm most looking forward to is going to Glastonbury. And that is what this week's episode is all about. So it's been three years, but finally Glastonbury is back in all its glory this week. It is the biggest festival in the world. 200,000 people will make their way to Worthy Farm in Somerset to see performances from thousands of world-class artists. This year headlined by Billie Eilish. Paul McCartney and Kendrick Lamar. Now, 2020 would have been Glastonbury's 50th anniversary. It was started in 1970 by Michael Evis, but the pandemic happened. It was cancelled not once, but twice. So this year is going to be so, so special. Now, as many of you will know, Glastonbury has been home to some of the most iconic performances of all time, with the most legendary artists of all time gracing its fields and taking to the pyramid stage everyone from Led Zeppelin, David Bowie, Dolly Parton, Van Morrison, Stevie Wonder, Adele, uh, Florence, Jay-Z, a defining moment in Glastonbury's history, Arctic Monkeys, Beyonce, Kanye West, and in 2019, that really special one from Stormzy too. Today's guest on Changes is the lady who is key to booking and running Glastonbury as we know it, the daughter of Michael Evis and co-organiser of the festival, Emily Evis. Now, Emily grew up on Worthy Farm, so she's witnessed Glastonbury evolve from her years as a child through the 80s, 90s, noughties, right up to now. And her stories and memories are just remarkable. She even played Twinkle Twinkle Little Star on her violin on the pyramid stage when she was five years old. As well as being a family affair with her parents running the festival together before her mum died, Glastonbury is also special, so special and unique in the landscape of festivals in that many of the staff are volunteers and millions of pounds from the festival is donated to charity each year. It is a place like no other. I invited Emily to the rave shed, this very rave shed, last month to talk through her big changes. It was a gorgeous sunny day like this. You can hear the kids in the playground from the school and it was such an honour to have some time with her. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Welcome to Changes, Emily Evis. I love that I opened the door and you were literally on the mobile phone talking about sandbags. So on brand. <laughs> it's going, be more Emily Evis. This is perfect. <laughs> oh God. There's always some kind of infrastructure chat going on every day at the moment because we're so close to the festival. How are things heating up? Like what is life like for you now at this point? One month out. One month away. We're really in it. It's like kind of being reminded like so much is coming back to us. Like this like... It's kind of like experiencing it for the first time in many ways. It's just been such a crazy couple of years. For a while, we were like, 
God, maybe it won't even run this year. So it's amazing to be back. And everybody is like, it's like in Technicolor because everybody is just appreciating everything so yeah. much. Yeah. Like across the site, there's like such a buzz. It's brilliant. So it's been three years, which is the longest time Glastonbury's ever not yeah. happened. Obviously, you've had your fallow years. Mm-hmm. What's um, it been like for you coming out of the rhythm of doing the festival? Obviously, there's always work, but it must have felt different. It's really felt different. It was like really challenging. The process of the first cancellation was probably the most stressful part because we were so close to the festival. Everything was in place. We had a massive workforce of people there. I mean, I had to literally call a meeting and tell everybody to go home. And it was probably one of the most upsetting, difficult conversations I've ever had to have with like the whole team. It was very, very emotional, really, really hard. But also it's kind of given us a time to think about the festival in a different way. Right. And it's made us appreciate it. Like it really has made us appreciate what it is. Because mm. I think when you're rolling this thing out and you're in this mm. motion, this kind of pattern of seasons and festival movement all year, you never take a moment to kind of look at it. Mm. So in a way, COVID gave us all a chance to be like, wow, it is actually really a special thing <laughs> it's such a special thing um, oh, i love it now i'm like oh, i really love this it's great i want to um give a quote from one of my favorite things i've ever read about glass is when Catla moran followed you up, uh, in the lead up to 2019 and yeah. she wrote about it um she said, this isn't just music, this is a small city with a population bigger than Bath. Emily Evers doesn't just run a festival. She is basically the head of an alternate future city-state with pioneering technology. I thought it would be good to give listeners just a kind of bit of context about the operations that goes into this. Like, it's fucking vast. It has its own forge. It has its own sewer system. That You know, yeah. you're, it's not just music. It's no, a- it is. And I think... You know, it's very easy to forget that because I'm obviously on the inside of that. You know, the kind of engine room is at the farm. So all year we're putting drainage in. We're kind of reorganizing the toilets or what, you know, whatever it's going to be. There's always an infrastructure conversation. You're kind of fitting a city into a countryside valley, which is very remote and very beautiful. And you kind of, even now the fence is going in and it's like this kind of installation just like sweeping through this valley. It looks absolutely huge. I'm like, was it that big before (laughs) before COVID? (laughs) Anyway, yeah, it is, there's so much. It's like, it really is building a city. Mad, it's just mad. I think people forget about that aspect of it. Mm. Um, So in terms of the rhythm of the job, how does it affect your life does it get crazy now? Are you like, see you later, family, I'm off. I just, I mean, obviously you work with the family, but... Yeah. How do you cope with the kind of huge peak? I kind of go a little bit into the, like, the zone sort of thing, like, around now. So right. I don't, like, a friend of mine the other day was like, I feel like I've kind of, this is the time where I lose you for a couple of months and I just can't wait. <laughs> I know, we'll get you back into life. Yeah. And it's so funny because, like, she's such an old friend and she's just known this cycle and she yeah. sort of just checks in. You become completely absorbed in this thing, in the yeah. production and the building of this yeah. event that is in our home. It would be so different if I didn't live there mm. because, you know, you just go to the site and build. But it's like, it's kind of, we're there, you know, the reversing mm. vehicles all night. I mean, last night at, like... One in the morning, I could still hear the beep, beep, Oh, my God. That's hilarious. (laughs) Here we go. Yeah. And I'm kind of going to my kids, guys, this is is the festival. Like, that sound. That's the reality. the sound I grew up with. Yeah. You know, like, forget the bands. Like, that is... Yeah. It's the... Yeah. The build. It's all-encompassing. Yeah. But it's so, you know, it's so kind of life-affirming as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, the digger drivers, the trucks, the plant, the... Everything arriving, you know, it's yeah. like all the people, the faces. Yeah. Same it's home. happening. Talking about kids, you grew up at the festival. It's all you've ever known. What are your memories of, of kind of childhood and the festival? I mean, I was thinking about this because I was looking at your questions last night and I was like, the biggest change. And I was thinking about changes in my childhood and the fact that when I was a kid, every year was just like a massive shift, a massive change. Like every year had a different narrative. So festivals in the 80s were like entirely different. The festival was growing radically and, you know, every year had a different narrative with the travelers and it was like with music and it was Mm. just, there was so many different stories to it. But I spent a lot of my childhood feeling terrified of it because it was like, 
it was pretty wild and very divisive and very, very kind of tribal. In the area that we lived in, there was just so much kind of animosity about it and like loathing. And it was really like full on feelings to grow up around. Mm. So I was like terrified. I was like, blind. you know, we had like ball bearings shot through our window by like locals and, you know, our car was burnt down. Wow. It was burnt, you know, and things like that. It was just kind of, so I lived with a lot of this kind of fear of the festival. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, can we just have a normal life? Yeah, yeah. Um, but now I look back on it, I'm like, what I, so there was a lot of change in that respect when mm. I was a kid. Mm. Now it's less, you know, we have a lot of, we have like the highs and lows, but it's kind of a bit more like bedded in into our kind of culture and our society in a way for that time yeah there's acceptance and celebration of it acceptance now. Yeah, yeah, yeah and kind of a feeling that it's not this like threatening thing that's gonna you know get all of your children into drug mm. addicts and mm. get them into knives or whatever the thing was you know there was just so much rumor and controversy around it mm. and did you get flack for that you know at school yeah. and stuff as a kid oh yeah I mean everyone was like totally you're the weird kind of outsider mm. I was kind of a shy a bit like keep my head down kid probably as a result of like being around my dad who's the opposite right <laughs> you know, like yeah. always like hands in the air yeah. so I would always be like hiding a bit and kind of watching and then I went to school and everyone was like oh my god what is that thing you do it's just so weird I couldn't really like get people to come I used to try I used to take in books in my blazer pockets books of tickets and just be like does anyone want to come it's not that bad and people were just like no thanks well I bet they're sorry now better <laughs> better not <laughs> so what was your dad like then what were your parents like because they founded the festival together right yeah. So my parents were this indestructible kind of love affair that they had, which kind of saw them through any conflict. And it was very powerful to be a part of that. It wow. was very loving and kind of very, you know, they just were in love. So, you know, yeah. if I came back with my mom, my dad would be waiting on the step. They were just completely like connected and really in this thing together. And I think that was how they saw this wild ride through mm. because they had this amazing connection, mm. which is very like, we can withstand anything mm. because we're in love. And it was like kind of amazing to witness now. Mm. When I look back on it, I'm like, crikey, that was like pretty powerful what that created. Mm because both of them were married before. So they had three children each and then they got together and had my my brother and me. And it was a very, very... Is your brother older or younger? Yeah, a lot older. older. So oh, my he... siblings are a lot older than me, so right. they were, I didn't really kind of grow up with them. Yeah. I kind of grew up like as an only child a bit. Yeah. What were they like as people, individually? My parents. Yeah. My mum sort of supported my dad's kind of mad ideas. So okay. he was very like... He was pretty, like, he had an energy which kind of saw him running around and never sitting down. And he was just completely taken over by this thing. Mm. And he was pretty brave. And it was what he kind of stood up to. And those kind of late nights with the travellers coming at, like, two or three in the morning, waiting for the call. And at that point, there was a lot of conflict between the travellers right. and the festival. Yeah. And they kind of storm in through the gates and he'd sort of be trying to deal with these, you know, mm, um, mm. quite difficult characters, mm, mm. to put it lightly. Some of them are still here, but like yeah. on the festival, actually. But there was a time of huge conflict. And so he was like this driving force, you know. Mm, so mm. if you imagine that, he's like not sitting down, jumping around, completely like taken over by this thing. And my mum's like very grounded very kind of yeah. supportive and present and yeah. kind of holding him yeah. and the whole thing together. Yeah. yeah. So they were kind of, it was quite a good, good combination. The kite strings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. Like, it works. It's like, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. 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 And um, what did they tell you? What was your understanding as a kid of why and how Glastonbury came about? I think that because of the nature of their relationship and the fact that they'd both met kind of later in life in slightly difficult circumstances. Right. It was kind of built on their kind of love and their 
they were already outsiders slightly. I guess together they went to the Bath Blues Festival and saw the Moody Blues and a couple of other bands and they were pretty blown away by it. So literally the next day just got on the phone to a local scaff firm and built a stage in the field. Wow. And that was kind of, in the 70s they were a bit sporadic, the festivals, Mm. but it was like pretty small mm. Mm. more like a fate yeah free yeah. milk hog yeah. roast pound a ticket was it pound a ticket pound a ticket yeah. yeah and mark boland played the first there's a whole story to each year but in the early the very first festival was my my parents mm. and 71 was a, very different because it was arabella churchill who came down from elgin oh. crescent and she, I'm pointing towards Elgin Crescent, like as if the... It's just down the road. It's just there. Yeah. And so they, this whole bunch of, like a very different crowd came in and Arabella brought this whole other thing into the festival, which then lived for years, you know, because she ran the theatre and circus. Right, years. okay. But she, and then Bowie played that year. And that, mm. and that was a much more kind of rock and roll crowd. Mm. So the combination of 70, very rural, very kind of agricultural almost, mm. and 71 with this kind of injection of like London and kind yeah, of... Yeah. And then the, the two kind of worked together. So it yeah. became, they were quite significant those two years. Okay, so let's get to your first childhood change. So you talked about your mum. Well, I think, I'm not sure if this is like childhood really because I was 19, so that's probably quite yeah. kind of adulthood. Yeah. But I would say probably on the cusp. So having a, like, a lot of changes throughout my childhood, the one thing that was like very, very so unchanging yeah. was the fact that my mum was very solid. So she was like the kind of anchor to all of us. So when she got ill, it yeah. was terrifying because the thought mm. of like the whole kind of family but also event and my dad and everything was kind of inter held together by this one person okay and so it was very very difficult change because it was like I don't think we're going to survive this and my dad was very fearful of the fact that he would be able to survive and at that point I was in London and I moved back and then I lived so what were you doing in London I was at Goldsmiths learning studying to be a teacher so I would not have been doing the festival, really, I don't think. I would have probably had quite a different quiet life. <laughs> I mean, not that being a teacher is quiet life, but it's certainly, like, yeah. more consistent. St- stable. Stable mm. life. Mm. So then I came back because I I wanted to kind of support my dad in the way that my mum had, and I could also see that it would have been really hard for him to continue without somebody. Yeah. He just needed, like, a sidekick, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I became that person, and I moved back, and I supported him. And I kind of, for a few years, was in between London and... Right, OK. ...and Somerset. Yeah, so you were I, 19. Yeah. You went back. Like, how long did it take you to realise that you were going to stay? Um, and what was that decision like? I think, like, one of the things that had happened in my teenage years is that I began to really like the festival. Yeah. So I'd gone from this like point of really being kind of uh, fearful of it and wondering why we were putting up with all of this to suddenly being like, actually, this is a really great thing. It's not just about that, it's about all these things. So I kind of came back and I was like, I'll help you. And he, they were always going to retire in 2000. It was just never a question. So this was 1999. And basically, I, I worked alongside my dad. And I was like, could see very clearly straight away that the festival was going to be the thing which kept him going. And he was no way going to be able to finish in 2000 because it was like his lifeline. Mm. And so he became completely like you know, devoted to the festival. So I was sort of like next to him. And then over the years, I just, there was never ever a point where we were like, this is going to happen. You're going to take this on. Or like, I would even want to have that conversation. I didn't really want to do that. I could, in fact, I could never really envisage it working Mm. without him. Mm. But then very slowly over the years, that changed into something that was a bit more tangible for me and I think when I saw that I could really do my own thing with it because I'm quite creative and and my dad's creative too and for a while I was like how are those two things gonna work together but actually 
it kind of very naturally evolved into yeah. where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what did your dad think about you coming back? And Because the festival happened quite soon after your mother died, right? So there was a kind of momentum of having to just get on with it. Yeah, 99 Festival was pretty, like, a bit of a blur. Can and imagine. we just got into that um, yeah. because she died and then it was, like, a month away. Yeah, it was, like, pretty much, like... So we, we, we got through that festival and then... At that point, we only ever planned one year ahead. So different now. Right. Now we're like doing five, ten-year contracts and like thinking into the future. Yeah. But for that point, it was like we'll just get through yeah. the year and then see. Yeah. And there wasn't such a thing as like festival culture as much, mm. you know. So it was mm. like this is just something that we do, and then we might do it or we might not. And it was just a bit more like yeah, kind of uh, movable, and it just felt like okay. When it's time to just knock it on the head, we'll we'll do it. Wave goodbye. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. And I think that lightness gives it a kind of mm. you can feel that it's not like a bus- there's no business plans or. I mean, there's so I, there's so much I want to talk to you about that. Just like on that first change or like accumulation of changes, you lost the rock of your mum, you left London, so the momentum of your life kind of did a U-turn and you went you went back home, mm. and then you swapped jobs. Yeah. That's mad. Like in terms of like the amount of huge like upheavals in one go. Yeah, and when you're in a period of change, you actually take it's weird, like you're kind of subconsciously just allowing all these other changes to take place. You're not like it's always the anticipation of change, isn't it, that's terrifying. Yes. When you're in it, yes. it's like actually really a natural thing. You're like, Okay, this has happened and now these other things are happening as a result. And you're kind of just dealing with it. It mm. was like really shocking how I could understand it something that I'd feared so much I was so terrified of anything happening to my mom yeah and then when it happened I was like okay I can I felt like I can be the adult here and I mm. suddenly kind of probably did turn into mm. an adult at that point mm. and I just was like I'm gonna deal with this and it just all slipped into a different pace in a different I just turned into my life just totally changed mm. but it gave you a sense of purpose I suppose mm. like, like a kind of driving force yeah. yeah yeah and I think I just it helped me process my grief as well because I was right. able to work on something that they had created mm. and it was like really I wanted to make it work mm. whereas I didn't have that before because mm. I just was like oh, I'll have my own life after that I was like actually I want to make this work this is like an amazing creation and I want to keep this going mm, mm. so there was a switch mm. and I think that's what happens isn't it when yeah you lose people you know they kind of it makes you look live at on the world in you in a different way yeah. yeah what legacy did your mom leave within Glastonbury like what parts of her are Glastonbury yeah there's so many things I mean she was so caring and I think the yeah the kind of welfare side and the the caring side I mean I grew up like having welfare is next to our house but also like in our gardens and my mum looked after people for months after I mean we had people living with us for whole summers you know where they were just didn't want to go home well (laughs) after Glastonbury yeah so they just hang out (laughs) yeah and you know some more vulnerable cases you know Mm. where people were like I mean there was always a period in the 80s it's so again very different now but for a time in the 80s, there were people who were left over who would come and find refuge there that didn't feel that they had a belonging or a sense or a of place. place. Uh, and Glastonbury was in the, the closest outside world. thing. And so they came and they stayed. And so and they'd appear, you know, so people would come sometimes like a month after. And there was always a period of time where my mum would be on the end of a phone. So we didn't have an office. The phone was in the house. And my mum would answer the phone to these parents who were like looking for their kids. And we would be matching, the, it sounds crazy now, the kind of kids that were left in yeah. our house yeah. with the parents. So the parents were like, she's got dark hair and a fringe or whatever. <laughs> You're looking out the window, go, yeah, I think I see I think her. I, I, think got her. I think I've got her, you know, so come down and you can come and get her. Or we can, we had yeah. somebody who drive people home. And once this family came to get yeah. this girl called Anne-Marie, who was from Liverpool, and she didn't want to go with them, the parents. And her parents were very, very straight. Like, it was not, like, the natural place for them to come. At that, yeah. The festival at this point is absolutely like the Wild West. There's yeah. just, like, yeah. the scenes are just unbelievable outside yeah. of our house. So they get out of the car and they're like, where have we 
landed. Right, yeah, yeah. They come into the house and Anne-Marie sat and she's just like, I'm not, I'm not coming. So my mum's like, it's okay, she can stay here for a bit and we'll bring her back in a you know, couple of weeks. Anyway, she ended, <laughs> she ended up staying for a while. And she was just there every day after school. And, you know, so there were some characters. she stayed She for? stayed for a couple of months. Wow. And she was great. These people were part of my life. And that was what my mum, you know, there. Wow. She put herself on the height chart in the kitchen with all of our heights. Oh. She put herself in like 1970, <laughs> where roughly where she would have been. Oh, God. <laughs> it was so funny. Oh, my God. But, you know, there and there were lots of cases that were kind of individual stories like this where... My mom kind of looked after people. And that care thing, yeah. that is like an amazing thing. That's a huge part of the festival. That's yeah. like the kind of nugget right at the heart, which is that you're not like, you're coming, you're gonna be looked after. If you're vulnerable, you're gonna be, there's mm. somewhere to go. We have an amazing welfare team. We have outreach all over the place. And there's a kind of, diff there's a heart which is just yeah. different. Yeah, and there's, there's a moral compass to it as well, just in terms of how it runs as a business, it feels even weird to call it a business, but of course, you know, but like if you put Glastonbury in the context of the festival landscape, festival culture is booming now. Mm. Everyone's got a festival. It just stands out. It's just so remarkable. It's so remarkable for how you work. Would you mind explaining like the kind of the ethics behind Glastonbury? So my dad is a Methodist and from a very Methodist family. And so there was right. always this kind of slight guilt about having fun. <laughs> you know, slight like yeah. you've got to give back. Yeah. If you're going to do something really indulgent, like mm. have a brilliant time, you've got to deliver something back. So there's a kind of greater kind of message here, mm. which is about... I mean, so many of my family are like teachers and doctors and stuff. Like everyone's like got this whole thing about service too. Yeah, yeah, service, and it's like public service. Yeah, totally. And it's like, and I think there's something really, really good in that. And it's mm. something in the way the festival survived because of those values. And so the charity thing is at the heart. So we've always given a huge donation, all when mm. we can, to mm. all mm. of our charities. Mm. And I think it makes a difference. The festival would never, it just wouldn't be able to survive, frankly, in that commercial world anyway, because it's like we don't have those huge fees. <clears throat> we operate outside of that because of the way in which we, we get the bands for free. Everybody's kind of like, you know, for cheaper mm. because they're coming in and they're all playing a part in this thing, which is like we aim to give you know, X amount, mm. as much as close to 2 million pounds a year to charity at the moment. It would be so different if we were all like, running away with it do you know what I mean you must have had countless offers to expand yeah. to take the brand global to commercialize aspects of Glastonbury how do you maintain the conviction in just saying no to that um it's very instinctive for me and I think for like we've had so many offers over the years that I just kind of get used to <laughs> no <laughs> no every day APN if I just like everyone in the office just texts APN and I'm like yeah what's APN a polite no <laughs> APN oh my god I love an abbreviation and I say that all the time no. to management APN thanks so much but no <laughs> no thanks no thanks but you know there are things that we can do we're living in a world where we're not for a while, I got rid of all the partnerships. Now I'm bringing some partnerships back right. because I'm like, we need partnerships in order to mm. survive because mm. otherwise there are things that that bring, say like with The Guardian or the BBC or E or mm. whatever, they all provide a service. Yeah. So I think if you're going to provide a service, we'll talk about partnerships. Yeah. But I'm not like the whole buyout thing, rolling it out, like, no. Yeah, yeah. we have had lots of offers. I bet. Let's talk about change within the prism of Glastonbury itself. So there's, you know, talking about change, sometimes change can be a really positive thing, mm -hmm. but it's about knowing when to change and knowing mm -hmm. what to change. So you're not clearly ever going to change the kind of ethics or the moral compass of Glastonbury. But in terms of how Glastonbury looks in terms of a lineup or a music perspective, there was some quite big changes. And mm. I'm interested in that lead up to probably the most talked about change, which is Jay-Z in 20, mm. 2008. When did you feel like, and how did you know that Glastonbury might need to be tweaked in terms of the music that was yeah, presented? Yeah, and I think it did change. I think I, and that was what made me really interested in the job. When I knew that I could really 
do yeah. my thing. Yeah. Because I was like, I can't keep doing this, like, same formula. Like, it's yeah. not, that's not interesting to me. Like, I wanted to do something different and really shift it. And so that, that change was, I mean, I, to be honest, I had no idea that what was coming. My God. I thought it would just be like, oh, that's interesting. Not mm. like, you know, such a massive t- public talking point. Um but 2008 followed 2007. 2007 was really wet, really difficult, killers, sound problems. Like we kind of peaked in a kind of fashion way where people wanted to come. You're all over Heat magazine. Yeah, yeah it kind yeah, of yeah. went a little bit like really yeah. extreme in one direction. And right. That's the thing. It can easily yeah. just zoop, go off course a bit. And I was like, people were going who didn't really want to be there. And sure. Just to be there. And I was like, no, this is weird. Yeah. And you could feel it in the crowd. It was just like the atmosphere was like, people were like horrified by the mud, which I totally get. The mud is difficult. Yeah. But it was like a feeling of like people leaving. We're going to the gates, mm. you know, persuading people not to go. Me wow. and my dad. No, guys, come back in. We'll help you pitch a tent. It was just like a really, really weird, strange Mm. difficult year that festival anyway so 2008 I was like we need to do something different when you've got nothing to lose and that's how I felt Mm. I was like I just want to like I just want to do something really really what I feel is right and Mm. I don't really care about what everyone else thinks Mm. and I think um that was when I came with the Jay-Z thing (laughs) and um so did you go to them to Jay-Z yeah you went to them and said come and play at our festival yeah and the conversation was kind of going back and forward. And they were like kind of interested. And I was, you know, you're always trying to, with American artists, you're also sort of having to give a little bit of context because obviously, sure. you know, yeah. lots of people don't know about it. So I was like, okay, there's this thing called the fest, this Glastonbury and, um, and, you know, it's a little bit this and these are the roots yeah. and this is the context, but like we really want you to come in the headline. Mm. And um, they were pretty on board early on, right? Then... We announced it quite quickly, and that was when all the questions all the shit, started shit came out to be raised. Yeah, because people were like, "What?" It seems I mean, ludicrous now. Looking back, now? it seems ludicrous because it was what, like, fifteen years ago. I mean, you had to defend it. I mean, I literally like yeah. there weren't many. Everyone's <laughs> just like, "It like, seems ludicrous." What have now. you done? Yeah, like people coming out to you. What have you done? Like, why have you? mess this thing up Mm. I just knew that he could do the show Mm. and I just didn't want him to pull out so my whole focus became on getting him to come in June Mm. and he was getting married in the like May or like sometime just before and um I just remember speaking to his manager on the day of his wedding and it was just like you've got to kind of stop this this is crazy and I was like God I can't I can't stop. I can't, apart from just not saying anything, which I'm not planning on saying anything more about this, mm. I can't stop this rolling press mm. hype machine thing from just talking about this. Mm. It is completely out of our hands now. This is like gone yeah, yeah, yeah. to another level. Um, and then they kind of turned that into an amazing part of his set. So all of that so naysay, all that mm. opening film was just complete genius. Mm. And it was like the way to start it was just like, all these people going, that's never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And then and coming then, up with Wonderwall. Yeah. And then going into 99 Problems. I was in the audience. I was crying. I was, it was so, it felt so oh exciting. God. It was so good. You know, the you must, where were you? You must have been side of stage just crying as well. I, I, I took my dad up on the side of the stage. He didn't really know much about Jay-Z. Because my dad, he kind of relies a little, you know, at that point he was probably what like yeah. eight late 70s maybe yeah. so you know he sort of likes the odd like you know led zeppelin documentary yeah, yeah. or kind of yeah and so and he was like who is this guy like what is going on and so and then he's like do you think i should come watch and i was like no no you've got and we walked honestly we walked onto the side of the stage and it was just hysterical because the relief of seeing this guy walk in and take it on with you know when someone owns something yeah. That's yeah. what you've got to do. I'm like, yeah, in the face of adversity, it. you you've have to own it. it. Whether it's like a scary meeting yeah. you're going to, whether mm. you're going onto stage, whatever it is. And like, that would be my life lesson. I'm like, just own it. Yeah. Like, just. And if you think about did. Jay-Z, I mean, he's had to do that his entire life and his entire totally. career. And this is nothing. He was the right man to do that job. Completely. Mm. And within about three seconds, it was very clear that he was going to. He's, in fact, before he walked on the stage, yeah. 
Do you remember the crowd? Everyone yeah. just shouting Jay-Z. Yeah. And I was on the side of the stage looking out at this sea and it was a huge, vast crowd packed in and just everybody chanting his name. And I was like, fuck, he's, he's totally he's got this. Mm. And um, it was, yeah, it was remarkable. Remarkable. Mm. It was amazing. Mm. But I mean, hard to really believe that that was so con- controversial now. It is really hard, like mm. in the context of now. It's it's quite, yeah, it's it's not great. So basically, Jay-Z opened up the door to um, Bruce, Neil, like all of those big... So Neil Young and Bruce Springsteen headlined in 2009. He opened the door to like these massive American artists that we'd never, ever been able to touch before. Mm. Mm. So it really, it changed not only just for you know festival culture and who can headline festivals but also like it opened up the door for us in many many other ways Mm. and we kind of ended up having this amazing festivals afterwards so Mm. i think that's down to jay-z yeah yeah and obviously you had beyonce and then kanye so you know beyonce was yeah exactly 2011 yeah deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, so let's get on to your adult change then, because you've given us a few, which are all brilliant. Yeah, adult change is probably, I mean, like, probably, you know, having your children, Mm. and then for me, like, being, I'm in the family, I'm in the farmhouse, which is where I grew up in. Right. All of that history, all of those meetings, everything happened in that kitchen, everything. Um, So you're still in that house now? I'm in that house. Okay. So my dad moved out. Mm-hmm. like a few years ago and he built a house on the hill and he lives out there <laughs> it's really nice and peaceful mm. and we're like in the kind of in the farmhouse so it's like it's there's something in kind of that continuity mm. which is like amazing and slightly terrifying I know what it's like to be them yeah do you know what I mean like yeah. I, I was the child with the festival because the, the our children have a very very like quiet like rural life and especially now after COVID, they can't really remember. Yeah, the I was because three years in a child's life is vast. Yeah. You know, so yeah. this will feel new to them in, in a big way as well. This yeah, year. it'll be like for the first time, I think, mm. probably. Mm. And certainly for the young, because my little girl is just six and she... Yeah, she won't remember. We were at the new bands competition today and she was like, is this the festival? And I was like, no, <laughs> babe. <laughs> You know, I know it's sort of part of the festival, like the bands will take, but they've just got no idea. No idea. Oh, God. So how, like when you were a kid and the festival scared you and you had all these associations, how are you trying to kind of make it for your kids? Like as, you know, with your experience in the back of your mind. And trying to... Also, like, I don't want them to take it for granted because now it seems more in way more solid and I don't, and it's kind of not in a way. Like, you know, it's like, it's still so us that it's like in our home, we haven't kind of branched out or sold out or, you know, there's, so I I kind of, I want them to realise that it's like almost like a magical, the Brigadoon thing, the thing that I grew up with, which is like, you know, the, the appearance of this like thing and then, gone and overnight and it's it's amazing i kind of want them to to have that like it's Mm. like a temporary thing Mm. you know Mm. Mm. i I keep saying to them this is just here for now and it's like this wonderful thing but you know one day it won't be here i don't want like the feeling that it's like just gonna just be churned out i love that thing of like 
nothing's guaranteed. Yeah. Because that's the magic, I think. Yeah. yeah. As soon as you start thinking, so in 15 years, we'll be on X amount. Yeah, and we'll yeah, have, yeah. It yeah. like kills it. Mm. So, mm. yeah. And also kids, I think, aren't, aren't really as good at looking into the future as adults or, or you know, as, yeah. so they're very much in the present anyway. So yeah. I think that will, will, it will be like that for them. I hope so. It will be, it will it's be. It's funny because we're on a farm, you know, like the, my family have been there for six generations. I mean, the ancestors are just, are everywhere. Mm. You only have to walk through the hall and, you know, see the great, great grandparents yeah. on the, yeah. on the wall. That's a lovely feeling of belonging though. Yeah. It's really nice. So. That. It's really nice. I'm thinking a lot about that in terms of like my family being in Ireland and thinking, do, do I want my kids to feel like they're part of something bigger, you know, yeah. than just me and their dad? You know, yeah. there's, there's a lineage there. They're, they're, you know, I think that means a lot to people. And you kind of feel that, don't you, when you're on that land? And mm. land really does have that kind of association. Mm. Mm. And I think the ours really feel that when they when they stand there. Mm. I think it's a good thing. What do they do? Do they go to the festival? Do they go and hang well, out in the kids' field? Well, they'll be at the festival. I mean, yeah. my 10-year-old is like, I'm just going to go off this year. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess he can. You know, like no <laughs> one knows. It's his, it's his field. <laughs> he can. I'm like, well, you know, he knows yeah. the farm. He cycles inside around the farm out. inside out. See? And I always, always navigate via hedgerows and trees because it doesn't look the same because of all the stuff that's sprung up, all the markets, all the stages. But you can always notice the trees and the hedgerows. Right. So, you so really, they're your signposts. They're your signposts. So you're like, okay, I'd be like, where am I? Where am I? And then I'd look, I'd be like, oh, hang on. Big oak in the corner. That's the green kids or whatever. You just start to... Wow. And I think that he will have that this year. Mm, mm, wow. So I'm like, okay, I think you'll be fine. Yeah. He'll and he fine. will remember kids it. Kids are safe as He, he will remember it from before anyway. So he, he'll, yeah. yeah, he knows what he'll he's doing. He'll be fine. He'll just go and see bands. And, you How know, exciting. that's the best age when How you, like, exciting. start to fall in love with music. Yes. You go, yeah, I'm just going to go off and I'm hoping that he'll just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy it. Okay, so that's one of the changes then, being in that house and, and becoming a mother from being a daughter into mm. that house. Tell me um, about the thing that you also said in your change answer, which was about surrounding yourself with people. Oh, yeah. Who make you happy and not feeling like you have this debt to the world. Yeah, I think that's quite important. I think just in terms of like growing up and as you get older, you kind of realise the things that slightly you need in order to get through your like it, to kind of give you the strength to get through the pressure of your life. So whatever it is, whatever you do, you you kind of have to surround your thing yourself with the people that really have your back, that make you happy. And I think there's like a whole process in your life. You know, you yeah. have your teens, your school years, your 20s, mm -hmm. your 30s, your kind of, for me, that was like having children and kind of, then you have like lots of different friendships. And then you get to your 40s for me, I've really like feel like I've kind of found I've got those kind of real like pillars yeah. around me mm -hmm. and I think that that is so essential because I've always had that from friends like I've mm -hmm. always had that kind of those very close kind of friendships but it's cha it's just changed over the years and now it's like in a point where I'm like that's been a big change you know I look at our wedding and I'm like wow that was like you know there's just a period where you just are surrounded by so many people and then you shed them naturally <laughs> you do you shed them i don't want to say it too <laughs> is that is that a crude way of saying no, it no. but there is also a self-editing system i think that comes when you hit 40 where you're like yeah i just know that person isn't isn't doesn't make me feel good about who i am yeah i think so and i think it's like a really without sounding too harsh because i think you know everybody throughout your life is what makes you 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 know of whatever the experience is but it's like you get to a point in your life where you're like that is a shift and I am like really happy with where I'm at mm. and that's a really good thing I think because mm. I think you just spend so many years like just being thrown around in different or I did like different party or different things mm. or different groups and mm. always big big mm. bands of people and, mm. and I'm like oh that is a big shift for me mm. so yeah just having a close crew yeah. of friends and family that you trust and that are good yeah. for you and not feeling that obligation to be kind of everywhere 
That's like, such a huge it's thing, such isn't it? an amazing it? thing. Yeah, and to maintain friendships and to feel like you have to go places and that it's like that self-esteem song, isn't it? It's like, I should be there and, you know, even while I'm at your birthday, I'm still going to feel guilty because of... It's this yeah. constant guilt yeah. of not living up to what people want you to be. Totally, and being okay with just not going to things has just been an absolute revelation. Oh, that's the best. Oh, my God. I mean, just say APN. no. APN. <laughs> APN. We love an APN. APN. For, uh, not just in so, business, <laughs> in personal life right. too. God, well, my, my one is GTK, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I love a GTK. That's, oh, that's constant in my WhatsApp groups. That is brilliant, mm. good to know. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, okay, so that's a really good lesson. I think that's a good one. It's a I good think lesson. there's something about getting old where you're like, actually... I don't want all this shit. Yes. It's just brilliant. Yes. So yeah. It's just it's simplifying your life. Simplifying. Isn't it? Yeah, because there's enough going on, isn't there? Yeah. Last thing before we let you go, Emily Evis, is uh, another quote from Catelyn Moran. She says, if you have attended Glastonbury, chances are at least one thing that has happened here will be in the best bits montage that flashes before your eyes as you die. Um, without wanting to be morbid, what would those bits be for you? Yeah, well, that's a. I mean, that's a thought, isn't it? I was thinking that too, and it's so true for me. Mine would be up the um, up the crane. Would it? And there was fake snow coming out, and I played all of you're not alone, the acapella, and it was like I was on my own. It was the most strange experience. But it was like, where else in the world would this be happening? But now, amazing. And I I met Posh and Bex on the way to the crane. It was two a.m. That's Glastonbury. Posh and Bex. Can you handle that? In Arcadia? Yeah, on their way up. I was like, come on up, I'm playing in a crane. You can see it. Did they it's come up? There. I don't know. I was up the crane. <laughs> I don't know. I love it. I mean, that is the festival, isn't it? That's it. That is just Sums it brilliant. Up. Everybody, it's a great leveller. Everyone's just in the same boat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And no one yeah. cares, do they? That's the best I bet bit. everyone's just ignoring them. No one, no one like mm. delves, dives in for big selfies or at least I'm like just no you'll be fine yeah. Brad Pitt just yeah, yeah. no one will notice <laughs> just go for it the worst thing you can do is have loads loads of security isn't it oh like, that's the worst <laughs> yeah in the past I've worn a wig thinking and it's it's become a joke now where all my friends are like oh right she's got the wig on as if that's going to disguise you and then you're up at the stone circle and yeah. you're like oh honey back and you're like Fuck, this wig does not work <laughs> It never works. A wig is a good idea. In all fairness, though, Brad Pitt didn't get... I mean, he wasn't He wasn't bothered at all. He just went, go. got straight in. And, and Prince just, Harry went too, right? Prince Harry, fine. Nobody gets hassled. Yeah. And they're not worried about it. So I'm just like, it's yeah. great attitude. I think it all rubs off. Yeah. You come and just drop your yeah. preconceptions. Yeah. The ideas of like you being in entering you know walking down Oxford Street or whatever mm. to being suddenly at the festival. People are just in a different zone. They don't really... I was talking to my, really to my good friend who, who's kind of, well, she, her kid's five now, but we were talking about life and stress and the idea of feeling needed all the time. Mm. And she said, the most free I've ever felt is at Glastonbury. Because really? my phone's off. No one can contact me. It's just me in this world. Like, that's <gasps> when I feel, like, recently, in recent times, that's the most free I've felt. Like, total freedom. I like, love that. No one can get me here. That's so good. <laughs> in a good way. Like, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's good that, isn't yeah. it? Like, providing love, that for people. That's what it should be. Mm. I feel like that is a really important part of it. And everybody should have to be able to experience that. Because mm. now we have mobiles, it's just not the same. Mm. And obviously, you know, you do have the battery issues by Sunday. So that's why Sunday's a different mood because yeah. you just get this like absolute free flowing feeling of freedom and just yeah. running through everybody. There's yeah. this kind of like last hurrah yeah. atmosphere. I've got my phone. I've ditched. I've lost my friends. I've just everyone's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, know, I found these guys. This is great. Yeah. It's just a complete. You know, yeah. <laughs> but um, what was the question? So you the asked question me? is like the bits that will flash, flash before, before your eyes. You. I mean, probably mine would be. Throughout all the different um, decades of my life. It's going to be quite the montage, that. It's going to be quite a montage, to be honest. Yeah. You know, I mean, even things like Hot House Flowers in 1993. Wow. I mean, just think of, like, me watching that as, like, an 11-year-old or whatever. Mm. Maybe it was 1991, actually. Anyway, but I just remember just being like, oh, this is brilliant. Like, you know, watching Sinead O'Connor, you know, all those kind of formative gigs that I watched when I was, like, a kid. Yeah through to watching Stormzy in 2019 be like, I could die tomorrow and be happy. Like that was probably the greatest thing I've ever seen. Mm. And like been a part like, okay, I was a tiny part in this and now I just, 
that's it. I don't know what, I can't, where do we go? You know what I mean? Like, that's it. So yeah, there would be quite a lot of moments. And sometimes like moments actually, on Sunday night, I quite often try to see my friends and go up to the hill for the sunrise. And those moments of just sitting on the hill, watching the sunrise, those are the moments where you Mm. go, this is brilliant mm. and that's what I need in those moments to mm. be reminded of because it's been so long since COVID yeah so this year I'm just going to sit on the hill and I'm just going to watch it <clears throat> and really take it in and just be it'll charge me up yeah you know yeah 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 it'd be proud I hope I hope you're able to be proud are you yeah I you do no the Sunday night I yeah I have a real like yeah. just moment of reflection and just realization mm. and you know just feel very grateful to be a part of this kind of insane thing you couldn't make it could you now you couldn't make it up it could not exist it could not exist no no way so it's crazy thank you for keeping it going well thanks for having me (laughs) thank Thank you you so much for having me it's brilliant i want to go to glastonbury now yeah oh my god (laughs) well it's not gonna be long So excited for Glastonbury. It is happening this week. You can catch coverage across the BBC if you're not going down. Do watch it. It is some of the most amazing performances you'll ever see. Having DJed at Glastonbury for absolutely years, there's always a higher plane when it comes to the atmosphere there, the people there and the performances there. It's really, really worth watching. Right, next week, food critic and journalist Grace Dent will be joining me to talk about the huge changes in her life, going from her working class roots in Carlisle to dining at some of the best restaurants in the world and being paid for her opinion. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Please spread this one far and wide to any music-loving, Glastonbury-loving people that you know and let me know what you thought. Follow and subscribe to Changes. Leave a rating where you can. It's always good to be heard by more people. Changes is produced by Louise Mason through DIN Productions and I'll see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.